Well, hey, guys, I hope you're having a great day today. I want to say thank you for tuning in for our youth service. And if you didn't know, this is going to be happening for the foreseeable future, live streaming at 6.45 p.m. on Wednesday evening. Whether you're watching this live or if you're watching the archive, we're so grateful that you took the time to join us for our youth service. Now, tonight I want to share a story with you that I feel will uh, teach us a valuable lesson, and I pray it's something that blesses you tonight. But before we get to that story, I want to turn your attention to Genesis chapter 49. While on his deathbed, Jacob looked at his sons, and he began pronouncing blessings over each one. And he gets to Joseph, Rachel's firstborn, and this is what he says. He said, Joseph is a fruitful vine, a fruitful vine near a spring, watch, whose branches climb over a wall. Joseph, you're going to be fruitful, but here's why. It's because your branches climb outside of the walls. Now, I would say to us as individual believers and as a church family that we will be most fruitful, likewise, when we become willing to go beyond our four walls. And what's awesome in this season of pandemic and isolation and all that is that we've been gifted this opportunity from God to lean into ministry that is done outside of the church building. And my prayer is that we see this season for the opportunity that it is more than seeing it as a nuisance or an inconvenience. Now, I want to tell you this story tonight. I first heard it about a year ago, I would say, uh, maybe a little less than that, from Brother Ken Gurley at First Church in Pearland, Texas. Great preacher. And uh, I want to share it with you tonight. It's about a man named Robert Schuler who went to Los Angeles in 1955, and he started Garden Grove Community Church in a drive-in theater. Maybe you've seen some people doing drive-in church in this time, and, and uh, hey, we've considered it as well. And so this is how he did church, and people would drive up, they would listen to the worship and to the preaching through their FM radios, and, and the church motto was, come as you are in the family car. Schuler, he would stand on the roof of the snack shack and he would preach through the car stereo systems of those who had assembled. And if people agreed with something they heard, well, they would honk their horns. Schuler personally knocked on thousands of doors in Orange County. In the early years at the drive-in, he would, he would ask his congregation to bring as many cars as they owned in an effort to make the parking lot look full. And, well, eventually it did fill up. And in the early 1960s, Schuler built his first building to house the burgeoning congregation. He called this project the Garden Grove Experiment. And this church building, the first one he built, had a very unique feature. There was a large movable glass wall that would allow people outside in the parking lot to still participate in the service. It was the best of both worlds, really. There were parishioners on the inside sitting in pews. But in paying homage to the church's roots, there were still people outside the walls in their vehicles. And Schuler, he would stand on this large elevated balcony that would put him in view of both those inside and outside the building. Now, eventually this building, it wouldn't house the growing church, and Schuler decided to take on his most ambitious project to date. And what came into being was a new building called the Crystal Cathedral, built adjacent to the first building. Schuler built this structure with walls made entirely 
out of glass, including two 90-foot-tall glass doors that, that they also could open to the outside. This new church had one of the lar- world's largest pipe organs with 16,000 pipes. It was an awe-inspiring building, to be sure, and it could, it could seat 3,000 comfortably. It was from this building that Schuler broadcasted his widely popular TV program, Hour of Power. And at its peak, this weekly broadcast garnered 2.2 million viewers worldwide. Now, the reason that I tell this story is because, as you can see in the progression of this, of this tale, <laughs> that the church went from being 100% outside the four walls in a drive-in movie theater setting, eventually to being 100% inside the four walls. And even though it was constructed completely with glass that allowed the church to see what was going on outside, they seemed to lose touch with what was happening beyond their small sphere. And I would say tonight that the moment that we as believers and certainly as church congregations lose touch with what is happening outside of the four walls of our church, that is the moment that we start heading into decline. If we become merely interested in ministering to those that are already in the church, the sheep already in the fold, the saved and the sanctified, I would say that we head into the process of decline. You see, the story of Robert Schuller's ministry, it's a cautionary tale, and it follows that pattern. And, and the Crystal Cathedral, it ends really on a rather sad note. Census data reveals that the demographics in the early 2000s, they were shifting away from a predominantly white Caucasian population to that more of a diverse community. Latin and African-American communities, among others, they were growing rapidly. But though the demographics of the surrounding communities were changing, the Crystal Cathedral congregation remained stagnant and predominantly white. They may not have fully realized it at first, but their exclusive focus on those in the four walls, it sent them into that process of decline. What happened to the Crystal Cathedral? Well, the church lost touch with what was going on outside the four walls. They were like a time capsule of a bygone era. They they were like a reflection of, of what their community used to look like instead of what it currently looked like. And because they lost touch with what was going on outside the walls, they died. And it's ironic and sad that a church with walls made completely of glass lost the ability to see the world beyond the four walls. A local church that started with such a focus on their community with drive-in services and knocking on doors and ministering in their neighborhood, it ended up reaching the end of its life because it became content to focus on only who is already inside instead of those outside. Now, in contrast to them, the story ends on a positive note. The building is now run by the Roman Catholic Diocese of Orange County, and it's renamed as Christ Cathedral. It has mass multiple times throughout the week. And get this, there's one in English, four in Spanish, three in Vietnamese, and three in Mandarin. Unlike Schuler, the uh, Roman Catholic diocese, they began doing things to serve their changing community instead of resisting it or ignoring it. They didn't lose sight of what was happening outside the walls, but rather they became a reflection of it. And they are fruitful in that regard. I would say tonight that I want to be fruitful. I'm sure you do as well. 
But like Jacob prophesied over Joseph, it will only happen when my vines climb over the walls, when I'm willing to reach into territory that is unfamiliar and uncomfortable. Now, of course, as I've already said, we've been displaced outside of our normal routines. We are beyond the walls physically. And what a gift and an opportunity from God it is to minister to people in a unique way in this very unique season. Being outside the four walls, it it causes us to think outside the box in how we minister to and serve our communities. Now, Now, tonight, before I close this devotion, I want to leave you with just a practical thought of a way that we can minister in this season. I know in many ways we're limited, but but the church is not bound, and we have ways that we can impact our community and the people that are affected by this. Of course, we know that, that the whole purpose of the church is to preach the gospel to every creature, right? The purpose of the church is to seek and save that which was lost. Salvation is the ultimate need of people in our world. But when I look at the life of Jesus, so often I see Jesus doing something a little bit unique. Jesus would meet people's felt need before he would talk to them about their eternal need of salvation. Right? For example, if they were hungry, he would feed them. If they or a family member were possessed, he would deliver them. If, if they were blind, he would open their eyes to see. In John chapter 5, I see in particular one story that I think illustrates this. Jesus healing the, the man at the pool of Bethesda. He told the man, familiar phrase, powerful statement, rise, take up thy bed and walk. This man had been crippled for 38 years. It's hard to even fathom, especially in that era, the hardship that this man had walked through. And Jesus comes along, and before he ever breathed a word about his soul needing saved, Jesus healed the man. He met the felt need first. He met the apparent and the obvious need first. And then he took the opportunity to share with the man the most important need, and that is for his soul to be saved. You look at verse 14 of John 5, and the Bible says, afterward, after the healing of his body, Jesus findeth him in the temple, and he said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole. Now sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. Jesus was not threatening this man, saying that, Hey, if you sin, I'm going to inflict you with a worse with a worse infirmity, a worse sickness. That's not what he was saying. What Jesus was saying is, Yes, your infirmity was bad, and, and you're made whole now. But there is an even worse fate than being crippled, and that's being lost. And so here's what you need to do, sir. You need to go, and you need to sin no more. Repent. So Jesus, he set the precedent, and he set the pattern. First, he met the need of somebody that was a felt need. And we, first we meet the needs of people uh, that people already know that they have, right? We meet the needs that Uh, that they feel that are most obvious to them. And when we do that, it opens the door for us to share with them the greatest need that they have, and that is salvation. You see, we know that they need salvation, but, but people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care, right? And the way we show them that we care is by meeting the felt needs in their lives. In Matthew 25, Jesus commands us to 
feed the hungry and give drink to the thirsty, clothe the naked, among other things, right? And it begs the question, well, if, if salvation and the gospel is the most important thing, why would Jesus not say, preach to the hungry or preach to those that are thirsty and naked and whatever? It's because when you meet the felt needs of people, it gives you the opportunity to share the greatest need with them. When you meet a person, when you interact with people in your neighborhood, your, your sphere of influence, yes, they need saved. Yes, they need Jesus. Yes, they need to receive the Holy Ghost. But they don't know that yet, right? But you know what they do know that they need? Maybe they're lonely and they, and they know that they need a friend, someone to talk through the, the challenges of life, certainly in this season. If they're sick or in pain, they know that they need a touch in their body. If they're, you know, uh, down on their luck, maybe they know they need food on their table or clothes for their kids, or maybe they just need a small encouraging word in their life. And when we meet the needs that people know they have, whether individually or as a church, what we're doing is building the bridge across which we can deliver the message of salvation, right? And they may not even be aware of it yet, but, but that's what we're doing, building that bridge. And I would say that people will be more ready to see their need of Jesus when we meet the felt need. And so I'm wrapping up tonight, but in this season, I would just say on a practical note, there are some needs in our neighborhoods, in our communities, and in our church family as well, right? There are legitimate needs, perhaps neighbors that are, that are needing groceries, and some of us are younger, and we can drop supplies off to people. That's a need, a felt need of people. Um. Some of us uh, maybe know somebody that, that is isolated and alone. Maybe they don't have much family, but they're in their homes in this time. And, and maybe a phone call would be just a major blessing to them, right? Maybe God's laying a prodigal on your heart that, that he's kind of prompting you to reach to and to be a blessing to. Here's my, here's my thing, right? Here's the point. My encouragement tonight is to meet the felt needs of people, which will ultimately allow us to share the greatest need, which is salvation. Being outside the walls, it's making us think outside the box a little bit, but that's all right. Let God lead you in this season, and and let's think of ways that we can be a blessing to those in need, to our neighborhoods, to our communities, to our families. Let's come together in this time, even though we're, we're apart from one another. I've said it many times, but I would say again that even though we're isolated, it does not mean that we have to be disconnected. Let's serve one another. If you'd allow me the opportunity, I want to pray with you briefly. Lord Jesus, thank you for the time we've had together. I pray that something that was said tonight is a blessing. And God, I pray that you would go with us the remainder of this week. Use us in in some unique way, God. Help us to be a blessing and to meet the felt needs of somebody in our sphere and circle. I pray that you'd bless us tonight as we head into Bible study. Pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you tonight. We'll see you next week, 645 Wednesday.